I've never understood why it would be interesting to figure out all the different ways you could skin a cat. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, let's talk some more about contronyms. This has been a good topic for us. Uh, we've milked it, haven't we? I think <laughs> I think we're going to continue to do that because there's so many of these words that are working in opposition to themselves. And we pointed out along the way that some of these contronyms that are supposed to have meanings that are diametrically opposed, that you have to be a little bit tortured to get to the contronym that's in it. Uh, let's start with one of those. How about the difficult word handicap? Yes, handicap in sports in particular. Um, this is a different topic from uh, the debate over disabled versus handicapped, uh, which we cover in the book. But um, this is the way that one of these lists of contronyms put it. A, a handicap can be either an advantage given to equalize chances of winning, as in golf, or a disadvantage that makes equality difficult. Well, the problem here is that the equalizing effect is not to help the person who's being handicapped. It's to give the other people a chance. So they're really the same thing. Isn't that true? Yeah. Yeah. In golf, the better player has a low handicap and the lesser player is going to have a higher handicap, meaning they're going to be able to take off more strokes from their final score when they're done. Uh, right. So in both cases, it's related to having a disability. It is a little bit of a stretch to say that it's an advantage that's given to you to have a handicap. Yeah, uh, it, it means that you come into the game with a handicap, meaning you're just not as good of a golfer. So or you maybe haven't been playing as long or you know, for whatever reason. But I, I agree with you. That's a that's a bit of a stretch. Well, speaking of stretches, how about horses going into the stretch with a handicap? I don't understand what handicapping a horse means. What's that about in racing? Yeah, I think that when you handicap a race, uh, I believe that you you're taking measure of the field. Okay, here's what it says in my online dictionary. In the mid uh, 17th century, um, the expression handicap originated as hand in cap. I see. Originally a pastime in which one person claimed an article belonging to another and offered something in exchange, any difference in value being decided by an umpire. All three deposited forfeit money in a cap. The two opponents showed their agreement or disagreement with the valuation by bringing out their hands either full or empty. If both were the same, the umpire took the forfeit money. If not, it went to the person who accepted the valuation. Weird. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> the term handicap race was applied late 18th century to a horse race in which an umpire decided the weight to be carried by each horse, the owner showing acceptance or dissent in a similar way. Hence, in the late 19th century, handicap meant to mean the extra weight given to the superior horse. So then that evolves to somebody trying to decide 
which horse is the superior one, and that's the sense of handicapping you were talking about. Yeah, to make take the measure of the field and decide which one's the best. So essentially, somebody betting on horses wants to be a good handicapper. But that is such a strange etymology, that hand and cap thing. I still don't know what you were talking about. <laughs> I've never run into it before, but it's in the Apple Dictionary, so it must be true. <laughs> okay. Well, let's leave that out for listeners to decide what, what that's all about. How about another one of these contronyms? This is a pretty classic one. Hue. H-E-W. Yes, to hue something is to chop it. But Americans who were in inspired by an old expression to hew to the line which meant originally literally cut evenly with an axe or saw adopted it to mean stick to the course Mm -hmm. so you can hew to your course by sticking to it and not deviating but if you're hewing a log you're cutting it apart but it had to do originally with not cutting with an axe so much as cutting evenly and smoothly so you're sticking in the same groove as you're sawing this piece of wood right yeah and anybody who's done any carpentry or any building at all will know how important it is to hew to the line and stick to that line i have a lot of trouble with this when i'm starting (laughs) I, I took wood wood shop one semester in the junior high. It was not great. <laughs> <laughs> making make a straight cut was definitely a challenge for me. Yeah, but you can see how the two meanings join together, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with the etymology coming from different directions or anything like that. It really is that the same word has come to have two different applications that are fairly well opposed. Uh, so good one, the classic. Contronym. How about the word left? There are two people, okay? <laughs> sure. And one of them leaves. So mm-hmm. she's left. Mm-hmm. But the person that's still there has been left behind. Yes. So you could say, yeah, one of them left and the other was left. Right. Okay. And whatever's there is left, like uh, after the kids have gorged themselves and gone to sleep, there's just some not very interesting Halloween candy left. Not really a contronym exactly. Um, if you're if you're looking at it in two, from two different perspectives, one of them is an active verb, you know, uh, used actively. She left, mm-hmm. and she was left is the passive. Mm-hmm. She was left by the other person. So yeah, it's still got leaving done. But if if you were gonna say. Um, there were four people left at the end of the party. Mm-hmm. Those people didn't leave. They remained. Yes, right. So in yeah. that sense, it's more of a contronym. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with that. Uh, now, here's a, here's a good one. Um, mean, and there's a little history here, and we don't always think about that history, but why don't you explain it to us? Okay, mean, uh, the original word, uh, meaning of the word mean is of poor quality. And you can run into this quite often in literature. Uh, a mean shanty would be a rundown shack. So a numerical mean is in the middle. And a mean fastball would be an outstandingly excellent one. And that's a case where the language is being used ironically. Uh, mean, which really meant poor, comes to mean really good, 
And the Cassell Dictionary of Slang dates the expression uh, of mean in this sense to around 1910. And they say that uh, it's implying that something done well is mean because it's so well done that competitors have no chance of doing better. So you're being mean to the other people. And I think we could compare that with the, the slangy expression of bad, you know, is that was really a bad piece of music. You know, wow, I loved it. Yeah. Which I, is a little dated now, I think. But uh, that's not uncommon to to uh, use a word that's really negative and, and flip it on its head and use it as a positive. Right. That's right. what happened with mean, the the mathematical meaning is not that familiar to people and always get confused including me between the difference between a mean and an average all i know is that means are better than averages most of the time oh for for um judging with yeah judging about housing markets and things like that yeah yeah so you could say um boy that Jimi hendrix was a mean guitarist yeah. yeah, he was really bad. The, the very old meaning of mean, though, the original meaning, is almost always associated with poverty. Mm. A mean meal or living meanly or whatever would, would have to be with almost starving and being in very poor condition. Well, yeah, but then there's of means. Yes, he had means, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yes, you're right. So both of those are kind of antique ones. So that would be an antique contronym, I guess, except yeah. it's always pluralized. Yeah, it's not very neat. A gentleman of means could be really mean toward those of <laughs> mean station. <laughs> there you go. Now, we don't normally think about the word out being a contronym, but it actually is uh, used in two separate ways. These little words... They have so many ways that they can be used. Just as likely you'll come across opposite meanings at some point. And the word out is one of those. Well, this to me is a little bit like it went off that we talked about at the end of last yeah. time. Yeah. But um, so if the lights go out, they're not shining. But if you go outside, you can see the stars are out. They are shining. So I think this has to do with the emerging lights going out they're departing they're going from where they were shining and and going off into the darkness or something is the image that people have in mind and when you see the stars coming out they're emerging from the darkness and so we're seeing the other end of that process with them emerging from darkness of course the stars are there in the daytime uh, we just don't see them because they're outshone by the sun if you get knocked out you might see the stars come out around your head there you go now, let's look at a, a couple of real classic ones. Overlook, and I'll throw in oversight at the same time. Yeah, they sound like they ought to mean the same thing. They don't, really. Um, both of the meanings of overlook date from the 15th century. So this is one of those that was confusing from the beginning. People used overlook to mean look out over something, to see it. So overlook the estate, you're up on the hill and looking at the fields and forests down below. Or to disregard deliberately don't see it, overlooked the cat at the foot of my chair and tripped over it when I went up to get the paper. So these really are pretty opposite. And uh, it's the, it's two words, over and look, so it could almost be treated as a phrase. And it's perfectly logical how people would have come up with both of those meanings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look over the books, the uh, 
accounts as to examine them fairly closely, but uh, you could overlook the ones that were hidden a little bit that had the uh, illegitimate business being run out of them. Yeah, that's more the oversight. Yes. Oversight can be close supervision. You exercise oversight in order to make sure that everything's being done properly. But when you miss something and don't really catch what's going wrong, then you've committed an oversight, neglect. Just like overlook, those two meanings existed from the 15th century on, and they're still around, and neither one is budging. Well, what about peer? Let's switch gears and talk about peer, and this is one that I was educated by. I think of a jury of your peers being people that are at your station, but there's more to it than that. Yeah, I suppose a lot of the times people will talk today about young people uh, being influenced by their peers, that is, people of the same age group or the same social grouping. But it goes back to the idea of a member of the peerage who is a, a nobleman. So a peer would be the peers of the realm, the people who have distinguished titles like duke and earl and count and things like that. They would be peers. And the idea of having a jury of your peers comes from the idea that uh, a gentleman should only be tried by other gentlemen. So um, if you were of exalted station, then a jury of your peers would be a jury of of other men, and it would be men, not women, who had the same social status. But in a democracy like the United States, that gets wiped out. And so a jury of your peers comes to mean any other citizen, I presume of voting age, at least. I don't know what the legal definition is, but something like that. Anyway, people of, of all kinds of social station. And very often you'll see crimes where the jury winds up being made up of unemployed people and retired people who have nothing almost in common with whoever's being tried simply because they have the time to devote to a, a lengthy trial. There's been a lot of debate over racial discrimination. Is, is a jury uh, composed entirely or, or largely of whites uh, truly a jury of peers that can try uh, a black defendant? And uh, there is a lot of law that has gone around that. The meaning of peer has changed in various ways. So peer is your equal, but it doesn't necessarily mean everybody is equal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are ways of being peers and, and not peers. Even when we say you, you deserve a trial by your peers, that doesn't mean just anybody can try you. It's a specific group. But if you go back to the origin, uh, a peer would by necessity be a, be a nobleman. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I hadn't really thought about before. What about one? I, I have a little gripe about the next one, too. It's the word refrain. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that one. This one is a little tortured. So Mm -hmm. mostly we use refrain to mean refrain from doing something by not doing it even once. But if you sing a refrain, you're usually expected to repeat it. And in fact, the word refrain in music is used almost exclusively when there's a good deal of repetition going on. So um, this is a little bit tortured. But the two words, the one that means not doing something avoiding doing something and repeating uh, uh, some words and music uh, over and over. It came from different French roots. They were distinct words from the beginning, and they just happened to merge together in their spellings eventually, and that's what caused them to 
have this sense. But again, this is one where the second meaning having to do with singing is always in a context where there's no doubt that a repetition of a stretch of music is being referred to. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's ever confusing. Well, yes, and you sing a refrain, a repeated uh, piece, part of the, the music. I have seen that used also just as shorthand for song or a bit of music. He was uh, whistling a, a refrain, and it wasn't necessarily meant to imply that he was doing the same melody over and over again. It's just sometimes has been used as a shorthand for tune. Sure, yeah. But you're, you're whistling a refrain or you're singing a refrain. When you're doing that, you're not refraining. No. <laughs> so, uh, once again, the parts of speech thing gets gets in, runs into it. Uh, that's where the contronym logic kind of falls apart because uh, you would never say the, the, the choir was refraining <laughs> unless they weren't singing. Yeah, but I suppose, you know, the driver of the bus could get tired of hearing 99 bottles of beer from the and asked them to refrain <laughs> yes right but uh, uh, th- that would only have one meaning as a verb as a command yeah. refrain <laughs> doesn't mean continue singing that bit of repetition mm. well here's one that I was also educated by and that is the word restive let's talk about that so a restive horse was originally unwilling to move forward so it's restful in a way it's mm-hmm. it's not it's wanting to stay at rest stopped but people thought of horses as not being terribly calm when they're stopped and so if it was fidgeting around and you know twitching and bringing its hooves up and down it promoted a second sense unable to keep still and now when people use the word restive most of the time that's what it means if you're restive you're also restless which is odd because you'd think restless would be the opposite of restive but it's not see the other sense as well occasionally but not very often i like the original meaning a restive horse was unwilling to move forward it suggests that uh, rest you just take the word rest it suggests that it's it's still and uh, the fact that it has come to mean restive, meaning fidgety, uh, unable to keep still. I don't like that one as much. I, I don't like our current use. of Right. It. And I think a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah, it that's the problem. Sounds wrong. That's the problem. And it goes back to my, my old Stemwinder talk in the previous conversation, because it looks like it should mean at rest, but it doesn't. And you just have to know that. Often you get that out of the, the context that it's being used in. Um, you don't necessarily approach that word the first time and just get it right off the bat. How about the word root? You put, have that as uh, on this list. How does that work as a context? Okay, this is this is one I just found annoying. That's <laughs> yeah, bogus. Um, okay. <laughs> so here's the here's the uh, the argument for it. Your beliefs may be deeply rooted, that is firmly fixed in your religion. But you may want to root out, separate out your doubts and flaws. This is a lot like dust mm-hmm. in that it's it's the stuff that's settled on and it's the getting it, getting it out. Mm-hmm. But here we actually have added the word out. So it's not that the word root by itself means 
to pull out, uproot. Mm-hmm. It's only when you add the word out to it or mm-hmm. up to the beginning of it that it has that reversal of meaning. Yeah, I see. I see. So that that is definitely not a classic contronym. <laughs> Somebody's uh, searching for ways to make that one fit the form. But we do have another classic one, uh, and that is the word sanction. Yes. Love this one. Okay, so originally it was an ecclesiastical decree or law, so it had to do with church law. And, you know, the word sanctus, uh, Latin, holy, um, such laws could make some actions legal. So we have certain sports sanctioned for the Olympics, which are allowed, and other actions are banned. Sanctions are enforced against athletes who take performance-enhancing drugs. And I think this one does confuse people a good deal. They're imposing sanctions on the country. Always means penalizing them in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but his actions were sanctioned. Most of the time is going to mean, well, if he committed a crime, his action be, could be sanctioned by, by penalizing him. Um, but if he wanted to create a beautiful uh, pergola in the front yard, the local community organization could sanction that by allowing it. So it could have the sense of allowing and the sense of forbidding also. That is a pretty classic contronym. And the uh, etymology doesn't help you a lot because it points you back to this religious meaning, which doesn't really help because it's broadened beyond the church realm now. Right. Well, let's talk about one that you do cover in the book. Um, People like to say the word scan can be a contronym. I think you get ahead of those people in in your entry from the book. You want to just read your entry from the book on the word scan? Those who insist that scan can never be a synonym of skim have lost the battle. It is true that the word originally meant to scrutinize, but it has now evolved into one of those unfortunate words with two opposite meanings. In other words, a contronym. To examine closely, now rare, and to glance at quickly, much more common, It would be difficult to say which of these two meanings is more prominent in the computer-related usage to scan a document. Although, um, after having written that, I I did some more research, and it turns out that this usage emerged with the invention of television tubes, which used a single electronic beam to quickly sweep back and forth over the source in order to render a detailed image. So uh, this kind of scan is superhuman in speed, so that kind of scanning could be both quick and detailed. We first started with the idea that if you're doing it quickly, then you're giving it a lick and a promise. You're not really doing a thorough examination. But with electronics into it, like a, a CAT scan, can take place pretty fast. So I, that, I think, has influenced this to, to give the idea that glance at quickly is the most popular meaning of scan now. But that said, it's more appropriate to use scan to label a search for specific information in a text and skim to label a hasty reading aimed at getting the general gist of a text. So when they're applied to looking at words in a document, that's the distinction I prefer. Yes, and if you've ever been a reading teacher, as I have, you'll want to educate your class on the difference between scanning and skimming because sometimes you will ask them to do one and ask them to do the other on a on a yeah. text and so uh you'll want to make sure that everybody is clear about what you're what you're asking for but yes it's true in general usage it's possible to use the word scan 
to essentially be a synonym of skim. How about the word screen? How does that work itself up into a contronym? Well, screen has a lot of different meanings, but um, traditionally you screen something by hiding it behind a screen. Chinese folding screens are a famous example. In Hollywood slang, though, you screen a film by viewing it as being displayed on a screen. So you're hiding it or you're displaying it. And the video discs that are sent out to Academy Award voters are called screeners, which is Mm -hmm. interesting. So the idea is uh, they can screen these films by viewing them, and then they can screen them out by choosing the ones that they prefer. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, here again, um, if you're hiding something behind a screen, that's an object. Right. And the screen is the thing that you are looking at when you screen a movie. Right. But uh, you're still talking about the object, really. The origin of it is just the object, the screen. Well, how how does the word skin get construed to be a contronym? Well, it used to mean uh, to cover with a skin, to skin something. And I don't even have a good example of that i don't know would you skin a drum <laughs> putting the skin I, on it I, I suppose yeah um but it's always primarily meant to remove a skin that's the main meaning and it's an old meaning as well to take something off the skin and just like dusting is to remove the dust skinning is to remove the skin and boning is to remove the bones Right, yeah, you wouldn't really uh, cover the furniture with dust if somebody tells you to dust the furniture the way Amelia Bedelia did. But but uh, similarly, if somebody told you to skin the fish, you wouldn't put more skin on it. I've never understood why it would be interesting to figure out all the different ways you could skin a cat. <laughs> I just know there's more than one way. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I don't want to go into any more details beyond that. Uh, how about strike? Well, this comes after wind up, which we talked about last time. Right. So the pitch is a really good one. Uh, you strike at a pitch ball and you can hit it. But if you miss it, that's a strike. But the thing is that the strike is the word being used to label not the contact of the bat, and the ball together, but the act of trying to hit the bat. So in either case, a strike is like a stroke. It's the motion of the bat. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the strike succeeds and you strike the ball and sometimes you miss and then that's counted as a strike against you. Sure. And there's not really any possible confusion here because you're really talking about the same act. Right. Attempting to strike the ball and if you miss, that was a strike. Meaning you intended to hit the ball, but you missed. When you strike the ball, you you hardly ever hear it referred to as the ball was struck really well. That that's a hit. So mm-hmm. so uh, the word strike is almost exclusively used to mean a, a, a miss, an attempt to strike the ball. And and it refers to the swinging of the bat rather than yeah. the collision of the bat with the ball. It's certainly not exclusively true that you never hear that the ball was struck well, but it's it results in a hit when you hit it, right. and and it doesn't result in a strike when you hit it. Now here here's one that uh, fairly classic one. How about trim? Yeah, I like this one. Well, this is something that I do about once a week, which is mm-hmm. trim my beard. Mm-hmm. So to, you can trim things by cutting something off. Mm-hmm. Um, you can trim bushes. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, trim cloth and 
so on. But you trim the Christmas tree by hanging ornaments onto it. Yeah. And interestingly, these two came together from an earlier meaning, which meant to get something ready, to trim something was to get it in shape. So you're getting your beard or the bush in shape, but you're also uh, getting the tree in shape by making it into a Christmas tree by hanging the ornaments. Mm-hmm. And uh, we still have that meaning to trim a ship which Mm -hmm. means to get it ready for sailing, prepared properly. Yes, when you trim the ship, don't cut it up into pieces. (laughs) Uh, And can you guess what Amelia Bedelia did when she saw the note to trim the Christmas tree? Um, Well, I imagine she got out some clippers. Oh, yes. It was a a real disaster. (laughs) Of course, that's what they do for you most of the time at the places where they grow the Christmas trees these days. Trees don't really grow in perfect pyramids or Mm. cones. And most of the time, and so if you look closely, you usually find that the ends have been trimmed. And we we hardly say trim the tree. I think specifically because of that confusion, we just say decorate the tree. (laughs) Right. It's a little bit archaic to say trim the tree. But uh, if somebody does say let's trim the Christmas tree, you got to make sure you're doing what's desired. Well, popular Christmas songs and poems and stories keep alive a lot of old-fashioned language that surrounds Christmas. Yes, that's true. How about the word weather? And how do we, how do we work this one up? And we'll wrap up with this and and see if we can weather this storm. How how does this get used? Well, you just used the <laughs> the one meaning to weather a storm is to survive it well. But when things go really badly, uh, things get worn and beat up, then they're weathered. So it's a matter of who or what is doing the weathering. You can weather the storm, survive it, or it can weather you, wear you out. Well, that's a a nice one to wrap up with, I think. And Are we done with contronyms? I think so. Let's put a wrap on this one. I think we've covered all the elements here, the contronyms that are that work really, really well, and the ones are a little bit stretched, some of the classic ones. This has been a a fun topic, so thanks for bringing this up. Yeah, I enjoyed it. That's all for the podcast this week. As usual, you can send your comments and questions to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, buy the book. The Common Errors in English Usage book can be bought online at your favorite online seller, at our website, wmjasco.com, with free shipping. Thanks for listening.